Rebels. Hello. The, another Adobe podcast this week. Another bonus episode, and this one is a good one. Yes, this one's a very good one. This is with a guy called Olia, who I feel like I have a lot in common with. Yeah, you guys clicked li- literally as soon as he uh, walked through the door, didn't he? Yeah. About, about geeky techie stuff. Um, but I, I really clicked with him as well um, because I think he's the perfect mix. You're good at it as well. But a lot of a lot of tech people are not very good at articulating their ideas yeah. outside of tech. Definitely. But a moron like me could understand what you guys were talking about when you when you spoke in my language yeah. and you were good at doing that. Yeah, he was a really cool guy. And I feel like there's so much value in this episode if you're into learning or if you're not into learning, you should definitely listen to this episode. Because definitely. This was a collaboration with Adobe, so thank you to the guys there for, for hooking this up. Um, and it was part of their Createfulness campaign. Yeah, the Createfulness campaign is an amazing mix that Adobe are doing this summer of creativity and mindfulness and kind of how that can kind of work together and how important that is as a creative to be considerate of being mindful as well. Yeah, taking that time to embrace your creativity, making sure that you make time to be creative, which yeah. is really important that we yeah, all need to do. There's like two sides of it. So like if you're creative full time, it's having the mindfulness to take a break. So don't just do it from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And then the absolute flip side of that is if you're working in a career that you're not particularly happy in or you're not fulfilled by not being creative at work or in your day-to-day life, going home at the going home in the weekends or in your evenings being creative to help kind of bring back that positivity and that i think that for you that's photography isn't it yeah because absolutely. i remember um a few years back when you were going a little bit out of your mind because you were like everything that we do we turn into a business yeah and you were getting really frustrated that you wanted something that you could just just geek out on and not yeah. have to worry about it bringing in any income yeah there's like a real burden of so for me definitely like I would do any art pieces that I start to do, I then get really into it, start to put them on Instagram and it would become a business. It would be like, well, I'm doing these for Instagram. I'm continuously putting these up. And it suddenly meant that I wasn't relaxing when I got home. I was just doing stuff that was basically work. So it kind of took the fun out of it. So when I started photography, I said to myself like, look, this is going to be your passion. Like you don't have to earn money from it. There's no pressure there to constantly put stuff up, just enjoy it. And I've taken like so much from that. It's It's been amazing. Yeah, because I think especially when you were describing there about the Instagram thing, like just feeding the beast of, yeah. of like, oh, I've got to make another post and keeping that that consistency up. And, and for you with the photographs, it doesn't matter if you don't post. It's like yeah. if you do post, you don't post, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like some days it'll be like some weeks I'll go a full week without posting anything because I'm just doing other things and that's completely fine. It's, to me, there's no pressure now of having to put stuff up all the time. Like it's quite nice to just be like, cool, go sit down for the next couple of hours, edit some photos and then upload them and I might do some more tomorrow if I've got some time. If not, it's fine. So over the summer, Adobe have done a bunch of like events and creative spaces that they've opened for free. And But you're probably saying right now in your little head, but what about now? Actually, there's a competition. You can win a trip to LA to go to Adobe Max, which is fucking great. Yeah, I mean, we want to go to that. I definitely want to go um, to that. So hopefully next year, Adobe, we know you're watching this because we made it for you. So <laughs> um, so yeah, please send us next year. Thanks. Um, yeah, this is a, the, what a massive opportunity. I mean, talk about, we, we talk a lot on the podcast about like the slow steps that you need to take to start your career. But there are certain things that come along at certain points that can yeah. jumpstart your career. And I think this is one of them. So I've got an event on the 4th, 5th and 6th of October. It's an online event. So anyone around the world can take part in it. And they're going to hold a competition on there, which you can find at bit.ly forward slash createfulness. So you can go there and check out and sign up and register for everything if you want to win a chance to go to LA, which is pretty good. So let's get into this week's episode, which is Olir. Olir is a web designer, a photographer, and an entrepreneur. I added entrepreneur because in his bio he doesn't say entrepreneur, yeah. but he is right because he's got like he's, he's got loads of different things going on. Yeah, he's got multiple Instagram accounts, multiple businesses. I think what I didn't realize at the time is he has he's got a full like clothing and like yeah. apparel line. Yeah. Yeah, he's really smart. Um, he's a versatile creative who understands how to use design to solve problems for his clients. Yeah. And um, like we spoke about earlier, he's really clear in articulating that to those clients of how he can solve their problem by using design, which is really interesting. Yeah, like for me, creativity is problem solving. And I think he does that absolutely perfectly. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Olya. Hi, welcome. Nice. Thanks for doing our podcast. 
Um, so you didn't go to university? No. Um, and whereas, like, and you got all of the grades and everything, easily could have gone and had a university career. You're shaking your head vigorously. No. no. So at school, like, I was never the academic sort of person. Um, I sort of just, like, rode the wave and just sort of went along with things. I mean, maybe I was good when I was a little bit younger. But as like, I became a teenager and doing GCSEs and A-levels and things, um, I was terrible. Like, I just got very normal average grades, like Cs and Bs and stuff. I don't think I got a single A in anything. Um, so, yeah, like I went to college and I didn't even do proper A-levels. I did BTEC stuff. Um, I could have gone to university. I did have like the points. I think it worked in the points yeah. system. I can't yeah. remember. Um, but I never went because I just felt like, I could, well, one, I couldn't afford it, I felt like. And the other one was the stuff I wanted to do, you couldn't really do at university. So I kind of just sat at home in front of the computer and just like learned whatever I wanted to do. And it sort of just went from there. Did you kind of feel like there was a change? Because I feel like a lot of people are sort of starting to wake up to the fact that, because for me, it was like university was, it was like standard because I'm like a bit older than you. And no one was really thinking that that wasn't an option if you wanted to get a career and whatever. And I think people are starting to, did you have in your head because obviously at that point you're like okay well now i'm gonna have to do something yeah um and but you you kind of knew i'm gonna learn online because that's yeah so um i think at the time that i was in um it was when university fees were changing when we had to start paying for university and stuff um and i feel like there was a shift because everyone's I feel like the internet became more popular. You could just have it in your pocket before, obviously, you had to have a computer and stuff. And there was that massive shift. I think it, I got a bit lucky in that way, you could say. But I guess I didn't anticipate that shift. I kind of just went with it. Um, my parents were just like, hey, you have to go to university. You have to do this. Obviously, every parent is going to be, be like that. But, like, yeah, I, I just didn't go. And, and then I thought I'd try um, doing my own thing for, like, a year just see how it goes if it doesn't do well then yeah i'll, I'll consider going to university um but thankfully you know uh, the income and the the money i generated was better than say someone who would just come out of university so i was like holy crap like i'm not going to university now and my parents were just like okay you, you carry on doing what you're doing then because it's clear that you're making as much as someone who's out of university but you're doing it without all the costs and all the other fees involved and obviously doing it from home like i didn't have to go to an office or anything i was just doing it from home on a on an iMac that I bought with my savings and was just like yeah just sort of riding the way doing whatever I can pretty much so at this age what is it you wanted to be so um I went to college to study business and accounting I thought I was going to become an accountant mm -hmm. like that's what I thought I was going to be I'm so glad you said that <laughs> <laughs> what a boring thing but like well we need our accountants like they're such an important job yeah. but like when you do see like super creative people, it's like our accountant, she says to us like, oh, I'm not very creative. I think it's a go-to phrase for people, isn't it? I'm not very creative. Yeah. And like, you've got the accountant's brain and you're super creative. Our accountant, like she's, she's got, well, she's got six kids. Yeah. Um, she's super creative with everything she does with them, arts and crafts. She paints in her spare time. She, I think she plays piano. Um, and like, so she's, so creative, but she has in her head that she's not a creative person. Yeah. So when it comes to career, she's like, I do accounting, I do the books. Um, and I think there always will be accountants because there will always be people who don't realise that they can do more unless they get absolute joy from accounting, which some yeah. people do. I think there's always going to be a need for it, isn't there? Like at no point is accounting just going to go away unless kind of technology advances so much that it can just automate everything for you. Because I suppose accounting is something that can be automated because it's just numbers. And you could get algorithms that would be able to give you advice on what to do and stuff going forward. On uh, that you're blowing my mind, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if it's something that you can teach someone else to do relatively straightforward, that means you can teach a computer to do it and yeah. go from there. I think the benefit of having an accountant, though, because my accountant is fantastic. He, he does so much. They think about things and they look at things. Um, like It depends on the accountant, of course, but my accountant doesn't just look at the numbers. He thinks of like how to manipulate the numbers in like obviously your favor yeah um nothing illegal obviously but like you know um how to get the most out of your money pretty much and what to do with being it. creative again yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like i think that's what makes a good accountant like i feel like you can have a piece of software who, which just takes all of your income and expenses all these sorts of things but an accountant obviously just doesn't do that he does various other things so like my accountant i can call him up and be like hey you know i want to buy this i want to buy that i want to do this i want to do that 
And he will know already how to do it mm -hmm. because I have no idea. He's much older gentleman. He's like in his 50s. I don't actually know how old he is, but he's, you know, very experienced. Yeah, here I am, like, you know, mid-20s guy. I have no idea what I'm doing. I can go to him for advice. And I feel like that's what you get from an accountant rather than just, oh, they just do your numbers, yeah. you know. Does he freak out when you're like, I'm going to buy another car? <laughs> well, this is the thing. He's like, because <laughs> like, yeah, like obviously cars are very expensive. Obviously a lot of my, the people who are going to be watching this are going to be like, why do you buy expensive cars and stuff? Like I, I just buy them because I find them fun, but I definitely wouldn't recommend someone else buying an expensive car because they're just so expensive and like just a lot of money to, um, to run. But yeah, my accountant is just like, you know, as long as it makes you happy or whatever, just do whatever you want with it. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Um, we'll work out the numbers, work out the figures. Um, and yeah, he's just like, he, he, he doesn't like tell me off, you could say, but he just like advises me what I should and what I shouldn't do pretty much. So back in the early days, you're deciding not to go to uni, you're teaching yourself your own skills, but you're starting from scratch. Um, yeah. And you'd only given yourself quite a small window. You're just giving yourself that that one year to prove yourself to yourself and yeah. and to to kind of get out there and and try and make this work yeah how did you first start sort of finding clients and and offering your services out so I'd, I'd actually say it started quite a few years before that so when I was um 17 16 17 well that's well this is the thing I guess it started in school I did like a um graphic design sort of class in school um because I was always interested in IT and computers from a young age and yeah. stuff so um you know, I did graphic design. I, I learned how to use Adobe and stuff, just basic stuff when I was like 15, 16. And since then, I've always had an interest, even if it hasn't, even if it wasn't really involved in my like, um, my college stuff, because obviously college stuff is obviously business and accounting. I've always had an interest. When I was 17, I bought my first smartphone. I bought a HTC Desire at the time. And I was interested in modifying it. So I was interested in modifying the OS and making it look different. So here I was going into the OS, taking apps apart and basically changing the um, the graphics of the app in Photoshop, just whatever. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying it. And then that evolved into making a blog when I was 17. Just kind of documenting what, what yeah. you're doing. and sharing what I've made. Because a lot of people were interested in, well, because I, I first started sharing it on forums and then from there evolved into a blog and then just sharing it from there. And then this was whilst I was in college and stuff. This is the modern day equivalent of you um, redesigning your MySpace page. It is, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's sort of is because it's funny because I was doing that for Bebo as well. I don't know if you yeah. guys remember Bebo. That was like, yeah, a bit, that's like the younger kids. <laughs> yeah, 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 we were too old for yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like making themes for Bebo through Photoshop and stuff just for fun. Like there was no monetary benefit or anything. It was literally just for yeah. fun. This was where that kind of DIY culture first started to evolve, wasn't it? Because yeah. previously it's like, you you get what you're given and and you have to use it and and you can be creative within the parameters they set you yeah. but then all of a sudden like just I, I guess a lot of open source software and things like that just opened the the whole marketplace of like oh we can create our own stuff now yeah it was great like myspace for me was just the one i fucking loved that <laughs> it was like so i'm learning like that i could just instead of just using your myspace page you could reskin the whole thing mm. so you could just put a whole layer on top of the page you just got all of the codes for like which was like add friend message or whatever the other little buttons were yeah. and just make your own website sat on top of it so i had like a full like i love pokemon yeah so i had like a full pokedex <laughs> themed thing i like found like what pokedex looked like and kind of did all these different icons <laughs> and just like just made it look so sick uh, and then i'm like the day i think i'd already moved to facebook at this point but the day that they changed that on myspace and just made it like generic yeah i was like you just lost all of the fun of this like the best part of that was the ability to be creative to kind of add your personality to it like even if you had no techie skills at all there'd be websites you'd go on get some html code get an image you liked as a background and add it on like you could have your own music to it which obviously was really annoying because it just started playing on every single page you loaded but yeah. as a kid i feel like when that was new you just didn't care but having that ability to just be creative and just like push the boundaries it's it's almost like a little like metaphor for life like here's the box you put in yeah can you be creative and break out of it yeah and yeah i, I miss those days i wish you could still do that with things now yeah can you imagine if you were able to do that on instagram well it's funny you, you say that because um when i was doing my blog and stuff i started getting into tumblr at the time as well yeah. and um that I think sort of Tumblr really spurred my um, HTML and CSS sort of skills. Yeah. Um, 
because I had a Tumblr blog and it gained quite a few followers. I think it's gained like 100,000, 200,000 um, followers or whatever, um, just from like posting images and stuff, reposting stuff. Um, but I wanted my Tumblr page to look the way I wanted it to yeah. look. So I first started messing around with like the CSS and stuff, um, messing around with the HTML, and then it sort of evolved into making themes. And that sort of also became part of like my career in a way. I don't do them anymore because Tumblr is obviously dead. Um, but like, yeah, I remember this was like 2013, 2014. I got into the Tumblr theme marketplace um, and that really sort of propelled my career. I remember one month I made, uh, I made ridiculous money, but like, I just thought, holy crap, I made like, um, you know, the average salary of like someone in London in like a month. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy crap, this is amazing. And that sort of really propelled my um, design and coding skills because I thought, damn, if I can do this, then I can really start um, charging a lot more for clients and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it really sort of just evolved from there, pretty much. When you first started, how did you price things? Oh, like I was just looking at... Um, I was looking at other people and what they were what they were charging. I was definitely underpricing for sure. I think everyone does because you don't have the experience. Yeah. Um, but I was undercharging massively. I was charging only like a few hundred quid for like a website or something. Um, but now obviously I charge like thousands for a website. So yeah, it was literally just like seeing what other people were charging and then just uh, making up as I go along pretty much. Yeah, I think a lot of people have that when they first start. It's just like, especially when you're younger as well, like to a young person who gets pocket money or like you work in a pub and you get like five pounds an hour or something, like to charge 200 pounds for something is like, this is fucking Yeah, this is amazing, (laughs) exactly. But then like you suddenly realise actually other people in the world are charging like so much more and if if you come into london it's like if like nike want a new web page developing for something they're not paying 500 pounds for that and like why aren't they paying 500 pounds for that like what do you get by having that higher cost attached to it and i think that's a really good way to kind of like work backwards like think like well what what's the most that someone's paying for this and what's the value they get from that and then kind of reverse engineering it and being like well that they can do this like technique that they use this kind of coding that I don't know currently. Like if I learn that, then I can start charging this much yeah. and just looking at like sending yourself on a path to earn more based on what other people are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the way I'm in my career right now, people don't hire me just because they want a website yeah. or whatever. They're looking for me because they want a specific style. Mm-hmm. Like literally every single client I've had in the last two years have come to me because they like the style of the design that I have. It's like being an artist. You wouldn't just hire any artist to draw something on your wall. You'd hire someone for someone, for their style pretty much. And that's exactly where I'm at in my career right now. And I've noticed like you can charge a lot more for that because you know, they could have gone to anyone to make a website, but they came to me because they want that specific style. How kind of stringent are you on if someone comes to you and says like, because we get a lot where we've got a style, but people come to us and just want something completely different. Yeah. Just because they know you can facilitate it. Yeah. What's your kind of opinion on that? Do you take it anyway or do you say, sorry, I'm not interested? Um well I, obviously I before I start with them, obviously you always have your meetings and stuff and you discuss with them. Um the first thing I always ask is, what is it you like about my current work? You know, um I should you know they see my portfolio and they're like they 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 take little things here and there just so I can make sure that they're hiring me for those specific things, you could say. Um, you know, they'll send me examples of other things they like, but from my experience, they usually just hire me for my style. If someone does come to me for um, something completely different, I, would, I will say, like, I'm sorry, but I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to make that. Yeah, That's just not my style of design, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'd recommend hiring that person today. Like, you know, I have a network of other friends who do all sorts of other different styles, and I'll be like, hey, use this person, hey, hire that person or whatever. So, yeah. That's such a great way of doing it. Like, don't let the the person out of your ecosystem um, because you're you're still, like, delivering a service by recommending someone else yeah. to them. Yeah. You're providing value to them by going, oh, yeah, no, I can't help you on this one, but so-and-so can. And then when you've got that that small network of, of friends that you can all share work with each other, yeah. it's like that's so enriching and, and can be, make such a successful relationship if everyone's promoting everyone else. Yeah. yeah. How did you find that group of people? Because we did a talk recently and some a couple of kids came up to me and I was just shocked by what their question was. They basically asked if they should go, like they didn't study, they went to university, didn't yeah. study in London. Yeah. They now work in London and some of their contemporaries 
stud- like studied in London and they've got some quite good connections from being at that uni. So they were like considering going back to uni in London to do like a master's just to make these connections. connections yeah. And like, I was just like, you do not need to pay to make connections. <laughs> like you can literally just DM someone. Yeah. But how did you make your group? A lot of my group actually sort of got in touch with me. I feel like I don't want to sound really sort of up myself. It's going to come across that way. But like from growing my following online, yeah. people just naturally just DM you, get in touch with you. And that's how I built my network. Um, and the way I've built that network is because of making good work, like making stuff that other people like. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I didn't make it for other people. I made it for myself. Um, like, for example, like my dribble profile where I share like my UI and sort of like work and stuff. My Instagram where I share my photography and stuff, you know youtube where i share my experiences whatever you know people just see those sorts of videos they find them and then they just connect with me and that's that's how i've built up a lot of my connections over the last few years just from people seeing my stuff and then just getting contact with me obviously they will share their work with me as well the best emails are when someone contacts me and they're like hey you know i'm a designer i'm a videographer here's my work if you ever want to work together just let me know and Mm -hmm. literally simple email because no paragraphs or anything them trying to prove themselves because usually I just look at the work and I can tell, you know, if they can, if, they, for itself. Yeah, if they're able to or not. A lot of times I, I don't read the copy I see, uh, like I'm scanning for the link so I can click the link. Exactly, yeah. Because exactly. the body of every email is the same. Mm. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm sure you guys get it as well, but it's, I'm getting like tens, well, hundreds sometimes of emails a day and I'm just like, I just swipe, swipe, delete, delete, you know, because I just don't have time to read all of them. Yeah. I'll get people asking for advice, I'll get people asking questions and stuff. And I'd love to answer everyone. I'd love to give everyone a specific answer, but I just can't. So that's this is why I do like YouTube videos. This is why I'm on the podcast, just so that I can answer those questions and lots of people can see them at, all at once pretty much. Yeah, I think it's that people talk about like inbound and outbound sales and all that sort of stuff. It's like there's inbound and outbound networking yeah. and you build a beacon and people will come to you. So by having a, a strong portfolio of work that will attract people in as long as you're, you're promoting it and putting it out on social in the correct way. Yeah. Um, but the other, the other way to do that, and especially in the beginning when you've just got like a really small portfolio, you can be reaching out to other people. And there's, there's two ways to do it. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer, or you can do both. Because um, I mean, certainly for us with the podcast, we do both. Mm-hmm. The podcast is a big beacon that draws a lot of people into it. Yeah. But also we, we reach out to people and collaborate with people as well. So it, and all approaches are valid. It's, it's funny because um, recently something worked out really well for me in, in like that way of people getting in touch with me just randomly. So obviously I'm into cars. I post cars on my Instagram and stuff. Um, and just a person out of the blue messaged me. I was like, hey, I got a Tesla Model 3 performance. Would you like to have it for the weekend? Guy doesn't know me. <laughs> I don't know him. Yeah. We've never spoken before. And yeah, I just like, hell yeah, like I'll have it for the weekend if, you, if you're happy for me to drive it. And he was like, yeah, don't just take it for the weekend, see what it's like, experience it, and then just give it back. And he's just a random chap who lives local to me. And he's just like, nicest guy in the world. I'm just like, yeah, just enjoy it for the weekend. Do so a video. Not on looking it. to get anything out of he it. He didn't get, the only thing he got out of it was the supercharger link that goes in the description. Like, because obviously, if you refer someone to get a Tesla, you get like a thousand miles, or whatever. That's the only thing he wanted me to put. He didn't even want me to mention his Instagram or anything like that. Um, in the video or nothing he didn't even want me to mention his name he was just like you know yeah. friend just i think that's because it's like go in the future you might then think oh i could do with him for something and yeah. like there's going to be some you've, there's a relationship that's grown there it's authentic exactly it's, yeah. it's like not he didn't say like oh i'll give you this but i want this in return mm. i think that's the best way to connect with anyone i mean i would have been happy to give something in return like whatever it is uh, but he was just like because he it. didn't ask for it, you'll be so much more willing. Like if he, yeah. if in six months' time he has a favour to ask, you're going to be so receptive because yeah, exactly. he provided value in the in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, Gary V wrote a whole book about it: jab, 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 right hook. Like that was just a jab. He might give you another jab, another jab, another jab before he finally gives the right hook, which is the ask of yeah. "I need help with this." By which point you'll bend over backwards to do it because <laughs> he's helped you so much in the in the yeah. beginning. It's what people don't understand. It's like. The, the amount of, of sort of pitching emails we get to us of, of people who want to be on the podcast. And it's just these long emails of how great they are. It provides us with nothing. And, and where we get the value is like emailing us with no ask, just like providing value, like 
do you want to drive the car? It's like, it's a perfect example, but someone getting in contact and being like, oh, can I edit some videos for you? Do you want me to take some photos for you? Um, can I interview you for my publication? Things like that. That then when they do then have an ask of like, oh, I've got this person who'd be a great guest, like then we're much more receptive to it. Yeah. But just go, as soon as you go in straight away with the ask, it's a, it's very difficult on the receiving end of them, especially when you're getting like 10 of those a day that it just gets added to that list of here's another person who's asking, yeah. who's got a want from us. Yeah, yeah I, I get it all the time. Like I'll get emails people asking for a lot when I'm getting nothing in return. Like no offense, but I I have a life. I have other I have other shit to do. Yeah. Like you know, I can't answer everyone's questions. I can't give you individual advice. You know, offer me something, give me something that you know will benefit me, and then yeah, I'll be happy to return the favor because. Let's be honest, like, you know, once you grow up, once you, once you start having a job, once you start having a life, your focus is your life. Like, you know, you can't be bothered to focus on other people's shit when they're not giving anything back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky one. And what's your favorite thing about your job? I think it's the freedom for sure. It's definitely the freedom, like being able to do this podcast in the middle of like, well, (laughs) Friday morning instead of having to, you know, um, go into like an office or whatever. I mean, I don't mind the office environment or anything, but I think I've grown up very much sort of. Um, in control of my own sort of like choices in that if you could say because my parents um, you know they kind of just let me be who, what, who whatever I want to be in a way like they, they didn't have any strict sort of like regime or schedule or anything um, so like you know I was very much like oh I have to take care of myself and I, I've sort of always liked that I, I don't know if that's introverted in a way because I don't think I am because I'm, I love talking to people I love hanging around with people and socialising and stuff Um but yeah, I think it's the freedom for sure. Just being able to do whatever I want, whenever, whenever I want. So what's your day look like? Are you working on your own all the time? Do you go to a space with other people? Yeah, so I have um, a home office. I did have an external office. Um, but once I moved out of my parents' house and bought my own house, um, I have a home office. It was, it, it was a dining room, but I just turned it into a home office. Yeah. I work from there every day now. And then I have my friend Charlie, who I actually met at college, who works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes two days a week, comes like Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, it's just a good way for us to like interact and socialize, even though we're always sort of like on Slack talking and stuff whenever we need to. Um, but yeah, like I'll wake up at whatever time. I'll be honest, this is the earliest I've woken up. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'll be up around 10, 11, probably I'll go to the gym, gym straight away. I'll go to the gym like three times a week. Um, yeah, I'll go to the gym straight away pretty much, um, on a Monday, Wednesday and a Friday. Um, and then I'll come back and I'll just get on the computer and I'll start working until like, Five or six o'clock, probably. I only usually work probably max six hours a day because I feel like when you really think about your work day, how much you actually get done and how many hours you spend, like I feel like it's around five or six hours. And then rest of the day, I'm just like either socializing, going out, seeing friends and stuff, or just chilling, watching um, TV shows, movies, gaming. I'm obsessed with gaming. Um, I don't know. I've always been obsessed with gaming since I was was young. But yeah, that's pretty much uh, every day sort of, um, schedule for me it's really boring to be honest I get a lot of people asking oh you know what's my daily routine I get up go to the gym work and then socialise or whatever and then go to sleep that's literally it yeah. so what game are you playing at the moment um, Call of Duty a lot I'm obsessed with Call of Duty I have been for since I was since like COD 4 pretty much um, but yeah that's the main game I'm playing right now yeah I played the first one I think it was a GameCube <laughs> Yeah, I think I played the first one. Yeah. Well, I always get mixed up between that and like Medal of Honor. I feel like to oh, me, maybe it was Medal of Honor. Of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Medal of Honor used to be really big. Yeah, yeah, that was sick. <laughs> I just saw that um, that kid got the three million dollar deal after doing uh, for winning the Fortnite championship. Fortnite one, yeah, Nuts. so insane. I know. My parents used to always tell me, "Don't play games. Stop playing games." If I had carried on playing games, I could have won that bloody money. Yeah, What's yeah. going on? Like, I could have spent every single living moment just trying to be good at a game. And, he, and I would earn more than, like, is it Novak Djokovic that won the Wimbledon? More yeah. than him, pretty yes. much. Yeah. Like, that's insane, all yeah. by playing a game. Yeah, yeah and he's just netted, uh, I think, it's an Adidas sponsorship deal as well. Mm. Um, so, and that, that'll be big bucks. So, yeah, I mean, when you, yeah, when you look at the actual, the actual competition money, which is significant, then plus adding in all the, the brand sponsorships. And stuff, yeah just phenomenal money and 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 it's exactly the same process as an athlete of like get really good at something put in the hours put in the work and now it's it's a legit thing where yeah parents always used to say oh you're you're wasting your time you're sitting in front of that screen all the time and it's like yeah this could be my job but 
only if you put in if you have the same work ethic yeah. as a as a Tiger Woods or a Michael Jordan. Yeah. And like even when it comes to gaming, people don't have the work ethic. They're like they'll play it for a bit and then they'll clock off. So, so I, th- I think it's it's a it's a really interesting industry. I think the gaming industry because, um, for example, I, I watch some gamers and stuff, but I don't actually watch them for the gaming side of things. Um, so interesting. So like, there's someone called Doctor Disrespect. I don't know if you've heard of him. No. So he is um, a Twitch streamer and a YouTuber. I don't know. What, he's quite. A, he's one of the top Twitch streamers. I mean, I wouldn't even say he's that good at gaming, but he is one of the most entertaining guys ever. He's like six foot seven and he's like, I don't know how old he is, probably in his 40s or 50s or something, but he's the most hilarious guy. He has like a character. He actually he actually has a character yeah. where he has like, he's always wearing sunglasses. He has a fake mister. I think it's a fake. No, it might be a real one. And he always wears, <laughs> he always wears a vest. And like, he, he always like, he just has these like weird jokes like, oh, you know, I have a 37 inch vertical leap. Okay, <laughs> no idea. And he's always like, um, he, he's always like, oh, um, two times world champion, 1993, 1994. He just has like these phrases. Yeah. And he has like a Lamborghini and stuff. And he's always like, yeah, I'm in my Lamborghini. And it's all like photoshopped and stuff, but it's really entertaining. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, 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 don't, I don't actually really watch people for their gaming. I watch them for their entertainment, really. It's quite interesting how um, there's like different markets, but it's all sort of around gaming, you could yeah. say. I just bought a Switch and I found myself recently watching this guy play Super Mario Maker levels much more than I'm playing the game. <laughs> and I was like, I could have saved myself a lot of money on not, not buying a Switch and just going on YouTube, just watching this guy play it instead of me. Because that's what I spend most of my time doing. It's, it's insane. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's weird watching people because it's like when I was a kid, like my brother was like always like way better than me in computer games. Yeah. And we'd play a lot of like RPGs and stuff and like I'd play them too. But Obviously, there's only one console. So if you're playing an RPG, you've got some one person playing it, the other person's watching. Yeah. And I was always happy to just sit and watch. Yeah. I feel like because if you've got like a good story and stuff going through, and like it's just weirdly entertaining. Like I'm like watching like my stepdad play Tomb Raider and just like loving just watching it. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the idea of like watching people solve problems and solve puzzles. It's funny because obviously you started that um, saying it's like oh it's weird watching other people play, but I feel like. I don't think it is. It's just like watching someone play football or someone yeah. or whatever. But people just haven't got used to the idea yet. Yeah. You know, um, in 10, 20 years, I feel like it's going to be a completely normal thing. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I watched this. But did you watch that person or did you watch um, this person play that game or whatever? Yeah. Just like how, oh, did you see the score on the weekend, Tottenham Arsenal or yeah. whatever? You know, it'd be the same sort of thing, I think. Um, I just think a lot of people still think that gaming sort of, sort of for like nerds and stuff yeah. or like you have to be geeky. I'm sorry, but anyone can play. Like, yeah. you can get games on your iPhone. Well, I see so many people play games on their iPhones. You see mm. people on the tube, all they do is play games on their iPhone. And they're just everyday people. So I think gaming's for everyone, but they, their culture is, like, going through that massive shift right now where, like, yeah. you know... You it's can getting a lot more mass appeal, yeah. 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 And it's, like, being more respected in a way, you could say, as well. Yeah. Uh, so I've just started <clears throat> playing uh, Assassin's Creed 3. And I'm, like, quite far into the game. And I just realised there's not that much skill involved in it. It's essentially a movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah, they, yeah. everything, every mission is like laid out so that you've got to go to there, go to there, go to there, go to there. And on the way, and it's, and it tells you what to press and when yeah. to press it. Yeah. And it's like, it's just leading you through a movie. It's just telling you a series of stories, which is like, that's why it's fun to watch. Like yeah. I could easily watch someone else play Assassin's Creed because it's just a movie. Yeah. It's like, um, Final Fantasy X is like my favorite game ever. And the story in that, is one of, it's better than most movies I've seen. <laughs> it's just so good. And obviously it's I pre pre takes like four at least forty hours to complete. Yeah. That's one long movie. That's like watching a full series yeah. of Game yeah. of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. And like the story was just so good that if I could probably sit and just watch someone play through the whole game now. If I could take all the grinding out and you've kind of just like going through and just like repeatedly killing the same thing over and over again to get experience. Yeah. Like it would be fun to just watch start to finish. Yeah, like my favorite game of all time is The Last of Us. I don't know if you guys have played it or whatever. I've not heard of it actually. On PlayStation. Yeah, right, it's like why. it's. Um, I think it's like one of the most popular games on PlayStation. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but it's literally like you're saying, like it's a story game. Um, there is a little bit of skill involved because you have to like sort of um, go around zombies and stuff, or infected or whatever. But like, it's by far my most favorite game of all time, mainly because it feels like you're in a movie. Yeah. You know, there's cutscenes and stuff, and the stories are fantastic. I think it is like one of the most highly rated games for for like PlayStation. Um, 
yeah, it's like people ask, like, what's my favorite game? Last of Us, like every right. time, every time. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Creative Rebels uh, video game. Yeah. <laughs> opinions and, yeah. and if experiences you like, if you like this leave some comments because we can definitely do more <laughs> yeah well our, our YouTube is going to go in a really different direction um, rolling back to the start I heard you talk about um, always over deliver and under promise okay yeah yeah could you Where did talk you a little about from? that oh, do my research Where mate did you hear that from? I think I, I, I said that in a recent video didn't I I think it was in a video yeah, yeah. so um, yeah like I said in that video I think um, under promising and over delivering is a massive thing because um, it just impresses it impresses anyone not just if I impresses anyone you know if you have low expectations and you deliver more than what they expect I feel like they're always just impressed um, like one of the examples in that video was you know when it comes to delivering say a concept for a website or an app or something I'll say to the client hey you know I'll come up with like two concepts for you like that's like in scope but I will end up coming up with like three or four because naturally I want to do it anyway. And then they'll be like, oh, this is amazing. Like, you know, I've got, I've got double, double the amount of work for the same amount of money. But in my head, I always knew I was going to do that, do that anyway. Um, I, I, I don't know if that, I don't think it's misleading because it's not like, because you're still going to deliver what they're, what they're looking for. You're just delivering more than, um, than you said you expected. Would. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super smart because if they're it, when you enter into the agreement, if they're happy to pay for two designs, and that's what they are expecting, then that's absolutely fine. Yeah, and exactly. And you have over delivered. I yeah. think that's great. I think it's really interesting that a lot of our guests we talk to, even when they have worked kind of nine to five regular jobs, they bring forward things from those jobs that they that they've learned into whatever they're doing. And one thing that I've brought forward from working in a mobile phone shop, okay. uh, and it's something that I've always remembered through all of our businesses, is that when we were selling mobile phones, which I hated that job, but I was actually quite good at it um, because I was really honest. And I'd always say to people like, <laughs> Vodafone's across the road, go and check them out. I think you'll be, I think you'll come back. And the one thing we were told is don't ever let anyone leave the shop because they'll never come back. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't think that's true if you're honest with people. So I was like, what I want you to do is go, there's phones for you over there. Go to, go to all of these shops because you won't find anything cheaper than what I'm offering you here. Yeah. And then they'd go, most of the time they wouldn't leave because they'd be like, if you're that confident that you're allowing me to walk out the shop. Yeah. Then. Yeah. So, so I was good because I was honest and I actually believed the network I was selling at the time was actually really good value for money. So that, that aside, the main thing um, that I took from it was that if you give someone a price and then start adding on loads of more numbers, it's yeah. really unattractive. Yeah, yeah. So if you say to them, this contract is going to be 40 quid a month and then there's going to be a tenner a month for insurance um, and your Bluetooth headset is another five quid and then you hit them with the, the final sum after that. Yeah. Whereas if you say to them, it's going to be 60 quid, you get free insurance and a free Bluetooth headset, yeah. then they go, oh, that sounds wicked. Yeah. Um, and so when you are pricing, like, cover all the bases like think about what might possibly crop up later on yeah. that you can that you charge for rather than it then being an unnecessary expense that then gets added on because then they get pissed off yeah yeah, yeah really good tactic that i heard recently was when you're quoting for something if they say like i'll give us a ballpark and you're like oh between this and this go for the high number first yeah so say if it's between oh it could be anywhere between 50 and 100 grand for this say between 150 because then it's like you're giving them the high number first and then when you give them an actual quote that's lower than that, they feel pleased. Whereas yeah. like if you say 50 to 100 and then go at 80, they'll be like, well, it was never going to be 50, was it? <laughs> and it just because that's the way you always feel. So like going high one first, low one second is just a way to make people feel more delighted yeah. from that. No, that's, that's so true because um, I, I've had that happen so many times to me where someone will quote me for a job, like even like my plumber. Yeah. Um, he'll quote me like um, 400 pounds for the job and then he, uh, like just estimate of, like over the phone and then he'll come over he'll look at it and he'll be like oh, I was going to cost 300 pounds I was like oh brilliant here you go just yeah. do it yeah. but I could have maybe got it cheaper somewhere else mm -hmm. but I didn't bother because you know it just looked attractive yeah. and like you know he might have swindled me or whatever but uh, I feel like just, at the time I just wanted to get the job done um, but yeah like you're right that sort of thing really does work really well like going to a car garage I suppose like since you like cars it's like if you go in and say oh it's probably going to be 100 pounds then they open stuff up oh we've actually found this problem this problem this problem so it's now going to cost you two grand yeah it's like oh, is it actually or you're lying to me and like you yeah. leave you, you have to give them the money because you need you want your car back and they've told you this you just take that kind of 
as fact. Mm. And so you leave unhappy because you've kind of lost out on loads of money. But if they went in and said, like, we could do a few things, bear in mind, we've had a quick look. It Like, it might cost this much, depending, just so you know. Yeah. And then you come back and it's only cost you 500 quid. It's like, oh, that's great. Yeah. There'd still be more than like, if it was the other way around. It's just framing it in a positive way. Yeah, exactly. What mistakes do you see other designers making? What mistakes? Um, oh, that's a really tough one. Particularly because I know a lot of young designers sort of contact you for advice and, and which way do you direct them when they're showing you specifically their early work? It's, this is the thing. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really difficult because design in general, um, it's going to be really tough to say this because I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, that's, you know, that's not right. You either have a knack for it or you don't. It's like being an artist. You either have a knack for being an artist or you don't. Like you either have the talent or not. That makes me sound really out myself because it looks I'm, like I'm, I have all the I'm talent. I'm going to fight you on it in a minute, so carry on. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I feel like you can learn it over time, I think. Um, so like when someone comes to me early and they're like, hey, you know, I started this and stuff. Um, I might recommend them things like um, maybe something to do with typography, maybe something to do with color coordination, maybe some, maybe show them a design um, similar to maybe a layout of what they already have, but tell them what do you think is different from yours to theirs? Mm. Um, you know, why does theirs look better than yours? Like try and figure that out. Maybe even copy exactly what they've done. Every single little detail that you can copy, copy everything you can and basically figure out what makes it different. Why, why is theirs better than yours? Um, Cause I don't think there's anything wrong with copying as long as you don't use that work commercially or you yeah. don't share it publicly. I think copying, you can do as much as you want because that's the best way to learn. When I started, I was copying other people's designs. I was, I used to copy so much stuff because you got to get inspiration from somewhere. But then as you sort of build those skills, as you sort of, um, you know, start doing more and more, you end up slowly developing your own style anyway. So like some people have the talent straight away. They can do it straight away. For some people, it takes a couple of years. Some people might not ever get it. It's just, you know, um, the way it is, I think. Yeah, for me, it's, it's mainly about mindset. Yeah. I think like for me, I feel like I'm quite similar to you in the fact that the way I'll, if I want to learn something, I'll look at someone who's really good and think like, well, how did they do that? Yeah. And it's having that, that questioning yourself of like, well, that's what they're doing. How do I do that? And that's how I've always learned. Yeah. I've been, I've seen something. I'm like, that's great. How do I do it? And then learn, like research, go yeah. on YouTube, watch some videos, find something that teaches me how to get to that stage yeah. and try and replicate stuff like that. You will learn so much by copying. Yeah. You Whereas will. I feel like people who don't succeed are people who just keep trying, but they don't ever think, well, what is that person doing? How do I get to that? And it's that mindset of how do I get there? How do I learn to get better rather than just doing it, doing it, doing it? Yeah. Because just by doing it repetitively, it's like you can do the same thing forever badly. But if no one, you don't ever learn anything, it's going to take you 50 years to get to that. Whereas if you just watch someone and learn how to do it. It's, it's that like, Einstein quote of, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting the different results. I think it's almost like making bread, which like is super simple. It's just like flour, yeast, water. That's all that goes into bread. Super simple. But to make an actual loaf is quite complex. And if you think like one day there was just, so, but that's like taking corn, like corn, like going from corn to bread with no knowledge of like yeast or like you can make sourdough without yeast. So like just flour and bread. It's like having just corn and thinking like, how can I turn that corn into bread with no one telling you? Yes, you could try for years and years and years, all these different things like do I just heat it? No, that doesn't work. It makes popcorn. Um, do I like like deciding to grind it and like getting like just learning? It's like going through so much trial and error to get somewhere when someone else has done it before. Yeah, it's just like that's the mindset you need to get in. It's like learning, looking for, to others to, for advice because like there's a good chance someone's done it before. Like I almost find any question you've got, <clears throat> someone's had the same question before, and the answers on the internet. Yeah. And it's that mindset, I think, is where people are set back. I, th I think it's also really, like, ridiculously important to never feel like you've learned everything. Mm -hmm. Like, I think never feel like you're the best at something. I feel like that's the most important thing. Never feel like, you know, um, you're the top dog pretty much. Yeah, I feel like you always have to look at it as, like, what can I do better? Or how, how can I do better? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one thing I've definitely lived by. 
Um, like I, some people will be like, oh, I love your work. I think it's amazing stuff. I look at my work and I think it's shit. Like, I think like I could do so much better here. But to them, like it looks amazing. And I feel like having that mindset, obviously it's sort of like, you're never really happy with your work in yeah. a way, but it's not like it upsets me. Like, oh, you know, it's like stresses me out or anything. I just think next time I'm going to do this better. Next time I'm going to do that. Next time I'm going to learn how to do this. Next time I'm going to learn how to do that. I think it's just really important never feeling like you're finished. You should always yeah. just be learning more and cons- I feel like constantly evolving. By having that mindset as well, it makes it exciting. Because <clears> it's like, I'll like, I'll be like watching a tutorial before bed or something and I'll be like, that's fucking well interesting. I can't wait to wake up tomorrow yeah. so I can go and do that. Yeah. And like having that just like drive to yeah. push yourself forward. And that's, I think, what makes people successful over the long term is just that drive and that, that excitement to keep it going. 100%, like yeah. it's never boring because there's always something new you can do, best you can get. And I think just like psychologically, like well, the endorphins you get from learning and from that little achievement and kind of getting to the next step and getting to the next step and looking back at your old stuff and being like, that's awful. Yeah. Just because you can see how much you've progressed. Like, I think a lot of people fall behind because of that. Like, they don't have that mindset. They kind of just think, I've been to school, I've been to university, I've learned what I need to learn, I don't need to learn anymore. Mm-hmm. They, they really sort of stick to that because they think, I've got my degree, why should I learn anything else? Yeah. But holy moly, like, you, like a, de- a degree literally just doesn't even really get you into the door nowadays. Mm-hmm. You have to have, like, you have to have a personality. You have to have, like, you have to be someone. You have to have the work as well and whatever. You know, there's so much more involved. And I feel like a lot of people get stuck in that thing where they think they've learned everything and they don't need to learn anymore i think that's the biggest mistake a lot of people make yeah 100 yeah, percent. um <clears throat> happiness i think comes from progression 100%. and we've we've talked about it a lot not only in sort of our our creative passions but like also just our happiness and how we look at life is this this weird balance of really really happy and really like proud of what we're doing and also really dissatisfied and always like pushing and trying to achieve more and it's kind of if you can keep both of those like the yin and the yang in balance then you're then you're set because as soon as you do reach that point of i'm done it's perfect it's finished then 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 what because i think the skills that you have today have got you as far as they're going to get you because that's that's all you know and the more skills that you can develop will then push you further and get you further along the journey. Yeah. How have you approached marketing? Marketing, I've definitely used like social media and like my website and stuff for marketing. Um, Is it again like the beacon and people have have come to you mainly yeah. or are you, have you gone out and tried to grab it's, people I, into the... I've been fortunate in the way where I've, I've had the beacon and people have sort of come to me. I've been very fortunate. There's no denying that. Like um, all of my work has come from... Um, people finding my work online like clients and stuff and people referring me like I haven't specifically had to go look for work mm. um you know I want to stop you there I feel like I don't like that word fortunate because it's yeah that kind of sounds like <laughs> you're lucky and that it's just kind of yeah oh it's l- lucky me it's all falling on my lap yeah. but it hasn't it's like you've worked fucking hard to get there yeah it's like those like all those hours you've put in to get to that stage yeah. and get your le- work get the level of your work up to where it needs to be and where it is now that's why people are coming to you. Yeah. It's not like they've just kind of fortunately fell on your lap. Yeah, I noticed you said in in one of your YouTube videos, um, oh, I don't, like I don't get, I don't really make any money from YouTube. I just do it because I, it's something that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, and you've got like a huge YouTube following, and that's that's part of your marketing by putting those videos out there. Like yeah. by, and most people can't be bothered because they don't see the initial returns from from youtube but that all goes towards building your brand people get to know you and it's we always talk about like planting flags like every every episode of this podcast every video that you make every instagram post every person that you meet at a networking event it's like planting your flag of saying that you exist and at some point someone will find one of those flags and they'll want to work with you yeah and that's that's what you've done and another thing i'm going to pull you up because you just reminded me of this is um I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. So you said you were fortunate. And the other thing was um, that you were, you were saying like, oh, you, that, that you were just lucky to have this talent. And you've got to think back. It's like when I met Adam, he'd never picked up a spray can in his life. And okay. within sort of six months, he was painting for some of the biggest brands in the world doing, doing work of a very high standard. And we always talk about like 10,000 hours of practice and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. But all Adam had to do was learn how to use the actual physical mechanics of a spray can because he already had his 10,000 hours from using Photoshop, from drawing all all his life up until that point. And with you, like you were 
grinding on Bebo, you were designing apps on your on your hacked on yeah. your hacked um, Android, fine, like. Yeah like you'd put in your 10,000 hours. So there wasn't, it wasn't just this God gift given like talent that yeah. just like bestowed itself upon you. There was no magic involved. It's just processes and the way your brain works and what information that you'd kind of retained and what you enjoyed had like pushed you down this one path and that's brought you to where you are today. So it's funny because I never really even thought of that. I feel like you've made me go through, through sort of like an epiphany now in a way <laughs> because like I, I never saw myself as lucky. Like obviously, I know you're saying like fortunate and stuff. I guess I didn't even see it like fortunate can be seen as lucky in a way. I, I do definitely think that you need to put the hours in, you need to put the work in and stuff. Um, you know, luck in a way, you sort of create yourself yes. in a way. Um, I think that's very important. And like you were saying earlier as well about like planting the flag and like kissing notice and stuff. Um, because I did Instagram, because I posted photos and stuff, um, my Instagram got noticed like by like some other big YouTubers. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard of like MKBHD, Marcus, yeah. yeah. So like he follows me on Instagram. So there's like Unbox Therapy, um, all these like they're they're the biggest tech YouTubers in the world. Yeah. And they follow me because they like my work. Mm -hmm. They they like my photography. They they follow me because um, you know, of that sort of stuff. And I guess like you're saying, like I planted the flag. Instagram doesn't really make me much money. It used to. Um, but it doesn't, it's never made me enough money where it's like a full-time meme card, not even close. I've always done Instagram for fun. But like I saying, I just planted the flag and it's just like another way to build a brand for myself. And I think that's very important, building a brand around yourself, building like some sort of image or something online so that people can see you online, people can come across you or whatever. That's how I got the car as well, you know, people just see me online. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's important as well, just building that sort of brand around yourself. I think starting that brand soon, like you just mentioned Marquez, I watched his first ever video the other day. Like it just flashed up. I think it's like 10 years or something since he did yeah. it. And it was him reviewing like this little bit of a laptop. Yeah. The camera of a laptop, isn't it? Or webcam? No, it's like, so he had like, it's a remote control. Oh, that I see. Came yes. With a laptop. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he just got this new laptop. He's like 15 or 16. He's reviewing this laptop but he's using his laptop's camera yeah that's it to redo it so he's got so only thing he actually can review is this little like remote control that came with it so he's there just talking about what every single button does on it it's an awful video like the quality is awful but that was him getting started and now he's like the biggest tech youtuber makes insane videos all the time and like the quality has gone from like shooting on a like a webcam from like 2004 or something to shooting on like big red super hd like 8k yeah, cameras, 8K yeah. cameras yeah. yeah well everyone has a day one don't they exactly. and no one starts from 10,000 followers and and flashy equipment and you just have to make the best of the resources that are around you yeah. and and build and build from there and i think we we all start at different levels and some of some of you are going to have to start from the very very bottom yeah. like um our, our mutual friend jay started as a bin man um and he's now I mean, he's now making videos for, for like some of the biggest companies in the world. He's wow. a tattoo artist. He's like just living like a ridiculous life and uh, talks openly and honestly about being a bin man. Um, he says he was the worst bin man because he was <laughs> like always late for work and stuff. But, um, but just, just going from um, not to denigrate any bin men, like do what you've got to do to get the money in. And that's what he was doing. He yeah. was like, I'm in a position where he chose that job because it gave him, because he would then be clocking off at like eight, nine in the morning, which then gave him the rest of the day. It was up, he was up at 3 a.m., but gave him the rest of the day to focus on what he actually wanted to do with his life. Yeah. And like some of us are going to start from there. Mm -hmm. Some of us are going to start from like you've got parents who can pay for everything. everything. They can buy yeah. you the best laptop, yeah. all of the, the equipment. But like, cool, just use what resources you can get and just go from there and build for yourself. It's, yeah. it's so yeah. rewarding. I feel like one of my kind of like perceptions on stuff is always make the most of whatever you've got. Yes. It's 100%. like when I'm like being a kid and like buying my first laptop because I'd worked all summer for it and it wasn't great. It wasn't the fastest thing. And I went up to uni and I was doing like 3D design and stuff and playing actually like playing like Counter-Strike. My laptop wasn't good enough to play that was everyone else's was. So I was like, fuck, how am I going to do this? So I was like going through forums and downloaded like dodgy drivers that would allow you to kind of like overclock my laptop thing <laughs> to push it to just enough so I could play these games. And it's like with like photo editing and anything like that, it's like I'd always use like the best I could afford and then get really good at post-processing because like you could buy a like 10 grand camera now take a file with it and it would not be a good photo like it's so much is about the editing and i think 
because I've always had that mindset of like, well, how far can I push this? And like people mess with me all the time, like, oh, what camera have you got? What lenses do you use? And it's like, that's not what gets you a good photo. Like, someone messaged me this morning, like, oh, how's your photo so sharp on Instagram? Like, what, how, what's your export rate? And I was like, it's not just the way I export. It's not like one thing I click and they're suddenly like super sharp. That does help, but it's a really sharp image beforehand because I've post-processed it to make it really, really sharp. Yeah. And it's all those little things of like, how can I push this to the absolute limit every time? It's like, if you're just starting out now and you, or you, you can't afford anything expensive, buy what you can afford and then learn to push that as far as you can possibly go. Yeah. So what you quite often find is as soon as you push that to a certain degree, a bit of money starts coming in and then you can start to afford more things. Yeah. It's like... They're, they're kind of luxuries, aren't they? To, yeah. to just They're just like cherry on top kind of things. Yeah. And like, because I can, I bet if I got a 300 pound camera now, and then gave someone else a five grand camera and said, like, let's, who's never used let's a camera before, let's <laughs> have a battle. <laughs> and, like, they'd take, a, like, a, basically a raw image and I'd go and take one of a... JPEG or yeah, something, yeah. JPEG and then edit it well. Like, my image would look better. Well, that's how I started on Instagram. My Instagram started with a 200 pound, 300 pound, like, micro four-thirds camera that I mm. bought. And, like, yeah, like, tiny micro four-thirds sensor, not the sharpest image or whatever. It's a little camera that fits in your hand pretty much. And I used to get asked all the time, what do you camera do you use to take your yeah. pictures and stuff, all that sort of stuff. Um, and like, I just, I used to just be interested in photography and stuff. But I could never afford the expensive cameras. And now like I'm using a Sony a7 III, which is expensive, I'd say for a camera, like it's like two or three grand. And then the lenses are like um, another grand or whatever. And now that I make YouTube videos, people sometimes say, oh, you know, oh, your videos are like as good a quality as like Marquez's, MKBHD's. Yeah. MKBHD's using a 50, 60 grand camera. And yeah. here I am using something that's two or three grand. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as good as quality because I always think I can do better. But as long as I'm using that, that product or that technology to the best of my ability, then, you know, and like as far as I can take it, then people are going are gonna to see the results. They're going to yeah. see like, oh, this is what you can do with it. And I think that's really important, like being able to, just make the most of what you have. I think a really good example of that as well is I was talking to you earlier actually about when I had uh, like a APS-C size camera, so like yeah. a more of a cheaper camera yeah. for people not listening. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then got like a crazy good lens for it, which was probably like, it's probably retailed for about £1,800. I got it for about £1,000 off yeah. from a Facebook group, like real bargain. So I had this like amazing lens, like good camera, well like all right camera. And I was like, well, I kind of want a lens that's a bit wider but I can't really afford that. So what I did is I sold the expensive one and bought three cheaper lenses. And like, even though the quality wouldn't be as good, I knew I could push those three lenses that were cheaper to close enough to the more expensive lens. And then I suddenly had more versatility in what I could do with it. So it's like definitely making the most of what you've got. Yeah, like when I started doing, um, like, you know, modifying the Android apps and stuff like that, I was on like a 300 pound laptop, which mm. my family used. It wasn't even my laptop. It was shared amongst everyone. So two or three hours of the day, I used to have that laptop and I just used to make the most of that time. Mm -hmm. Whether it be talking to friends like MSN or whatever, um, making Android, well, you know, modifying Android apps and stuff like that. And then from there, you know, it, it sort of grew in this sort of like, I used to sell icons. Um, and those icons made me enough money to buy an iMac, a used iMac, not a new one. I bought yeah. a used iMac. 21.5 inch on one of the small ones um and it cost me like 900 quid from like curry's like refurbished years or whatever and then from there that like i just tried to make the most of that machine and that's really where that that machine really sort of started my career you could say um you know 900 pound computer um where it really made me learn like um photoshop lightroom um html css um, and things like that and it sort of really evolved from there and it's literally like you were saying earlier just making the most of what you have i think it's just really important um, what would you say your favourite apps are? Oh, favourite apps. Um, well, for photo editing, I use Lightroom. Um, for design stuff, it can vary. Like, I don't actually have a specific design app I'm using right now. Um, you know, some people prefer Sketch, some people prefer Figma, some people prefer Adobe XD. Like, it's, an, it's a mix, really. Obviously, for photo editing, I think everyone uses Photoshop. That's just the default. Um, but other than that, most of my other apps are very common ones like Slack and, and Chrome, whatever. I don't really have anything too interesting. I mean, I did do a video on like what's on my Mac on some interesting apps, but I can't remember them off the top of my head. If you guys want to watch that video. Yeah, subscribe to the YouTube. But yeah, like I'm not this sort of person who um, I guess is like obsessed with 
like my phone or like my laptop or whatever, I see them as tools. I see them as things that I do for work. They make me money or they just provide me enjoyment. I don't, I'm not attached to them or anything. Because um, when I show my friends, I, you know, um, how much I use Instagram, because you can see like screen time on your iPhone. Um, they're like, what? You're, I swear you're always on your phone. You know, your job is on your phone. I'm like, so it doesn't matter. Like I can do a lot of my job in a few hours of the day. I don't need to be always in front of a screen, always in front. Um, That's interesting. So you're you're clocking quite no low numbers on apps like Instagram. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like Instagram, obviously, I'll open it a couple of times a day, um, but I won't be like endlessly browsing. Um, I don't know if that's. It's probably going to be harsh to say, but it's probably because I only really care about like my close friends and like other people I, I interact with every day. I only care about their content. I will never really look for other things. I mean, I might browse like Dribble, for example, for work when I need to look for inspiration or research or whatever. I might use something like that. But Instagram, Instagram for me has never been like, oh, you know, oh, look at this person. Oh, look at that person. Look at what they have. Look what they have. Yeah, great. Like, I know that Instagram is all for show. My whole Instagram profile is for show. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, everything looks really clean. Everything's really tidy. That's because, like, why would I show, um, take a picture of a dirty room or a messy room? Yeah. Just doesn't make any sense. So like, yeah, like um, I know a lot of people have this problem with Instagram and like addiction and Twitter and addiction and things like that. Um, it's yeah, it's a really tough one because I don't know what that's like. So I can't be like, oh, you know, you just stop doing it. I'm not really sure what well, the right. Well, it's thing like is. you said, your you see your your tech as your tools. Yeah, and your apps are your tools as well. And so you use your tools responsibly. You go, okay, I'm gonna go on and do a bit of networking on Instagram. I'm gonna and and social networking like keeping up with your friends, like actually using it, what it's designed for. Yeah. And then like, oh, I'll clock into Twitter just to see if anyone's like DM'd me any opportunities. And then, and then you're out, like you're using it responsibly. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm really, um, I'm really glad we got to have this chat because I, I wasn't aware of, of you and your work and it's actually thanks to the guys at Adobe that, that you're here today. So, um, so thanks to them for, yeah. for like putting you on, <laughs> our, on our radar. Um, well, thanks for having me here and obviously organizing it all. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Um, the, like we really, like, so we only, we don't need to bring in any sponsors for the podcast. We only do it if it's something that kind of resonates with us yeah. and with our audience and this createfulness campaign, um, we're kind of really behind it. We think it's a cool idea. So um, how have your experiences been working with Adobe and what do you think of the whole createfulness? I think the createfulness campaign is definitely like the idea and everything behind it. I think it's fantastic. The idea of, um, you know, working on stuff that makes you happy, makes you be more creative, but then, you know, it isn't something that, um, sh like, you still need to, I guess, have a life in a way, you could say. I think that's the that's the big thing that, that they're pushing. Um, you know, as fun as it is to work on concepts and stuff, you know, um, and work on client work and everything, just do stuff that you actually enjoy doing, um, whether it be coming up with ideas on um, on an app or a website or whatever, because I do that all the time. Like, I'll, I'll come up with an app idea, a website idea, um, and I'll design it just for fun. I'll do it all the time. Um, because I just want to get my ideas down. It might not ever, um, like, come up to anything. It might not ever actually exist. But um, I think having, well, having any ideas you have and putting, down, that, putting them down on, like, paper or, or, I guess, digitally really helps in just, like, seeing it and visualising it and seeing how it will work. Yeah, 100%. I would say skip back on your podcast app for the last 60 seconds and listen to that again. It's so important and I don't think enough people do it work on yourself work on your projects that you want to work on in your spare yeah. time and you will see so many rewards in your in your day-to-day -day work i think it's really important i think like we were saying earlier with the thing of always like expanding your skills and expanding your knowledge of like mm -hmm. what you already know i think that's also part of it you know learning how to use a new pro program learning how to um design something new that you've never designed before there is like that amazing feeling of once you've done it you're like oh wow now i can do this i can actually use it for work i can actually use it for a client i think that's a ridiculously satisfying feeling yeah i suppose it gives you a safety net as well because it's like if you've got a big client and you're like oh i'm going to try this really risky thing and it doesn't pan out whereas there's no consequences if you're just doing it for fun mm. you can try you you have yeah. the then the permission to try anything as wacky as it is and just see where it goes yeah, yeah. and i feel like with design as well like you don't have to just do it for money for a client like you can do it for fun it's like design is just an art form it and like the tools like photoshop and stuff like that are just like a new tool to be able to create art and it's so nice to have that ability that if I open up Photoshop now, I can create a piece of art with it. Yeah. Whereas if you before or when I was like 13 and didn't have that, 
Like I couldn't. It would just only be on a piece of paper. Yeah, pencil paper. Right? We are yeah. auctions. Yeah. I feel like that's what how everyone starts though, don't they? Every sort of creative person or every single single artist or whatever, they start because they just naturally had a passion for it. Yeah. They didn't see it as like, oh, this is going to make me a lot of money. Yeah. They do it because they actually just want to do it for fun. And that's how it started for me, hundred percent. Like I never sort of got into doing um, design and Photoshop or anything, thinking that, oh yeah, this is going to make me a lot of money in the future. I had no idea. Like the, I, I didn't even know like the user interface or like user experience industry even existed until I was like 19, 20 years old, probably. Um, that's when I realized, oh, wow, like there's people working at companies like Facebook where all they do is design like the buttons or they design like a user flow or something like that. You know, there are people doing this and they're getting paid a lot of money. And then that sort of made me realize, oh, wow, I should be charging a lot more for my clients. I should be, I should be making this a serious thing. And that's where I think I had that sort of um, change when it came to um, when I when I left college and I was like hey let's take a year out and see what I can do with it and it was just a lot of research and working out like you know how much can I make is this going to be a viable thing um, and then realizing oh wow I, this is actually amazing I don't need to go to university to do this every single job I've ever done even for recruiters who have come to me and be like hey do you want to work for this company or for that company they've never asked me if I've had a, if I've had a degree or if I have any qualifications never asked me for A levels GCSE is nothing. Because they already see this work. They already see like what I've created. Um, even if it's just stuff that I've made up, like a lot of my work came from concept work that I just made up for fun, not client work. And yeah, like they just like the style and that, that's, it sort of just evolved from there. If you can prove to an employer that you are going to make money for them, they will not care where you came from. Yeah. If you can make money for them, then they're, then they're in. And so the clearest and easiest way to, of doing that is by showing them good work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like I have a, um, a client right now. Um, their whole business is saving people money. So what they do is they negotiate your bills for you and like, like manage your subscriptions. And like their user flow and everything right now is, is quite basic. It works, but it's quite basic. And they just want to make it even easier and even more simple so that people who have no sort of like um it knowledge like you know just basic iphone users like our parents or whatever mm -hmm. can go through enter their bills and just have someone else negotiate them just like how you would do your car insurance like every year yeah someone else would do that for you and they just take a cut of your savings but the most important thing for them is just being able to get more people using the app and for them to make more money and obviously me showing them this is what you need to do from my experience this is what you should do all this sort of stuff you know they're happy to pay whatever and, and they're happy for it to take as long as it as it does for it to be absolutely perfect yeah. amazing what would you say to like what's your key piece of advice to to you when you're just starting out to anyone else who's just starting out like what would you say to your younger self i think it's definitely expand expand your skills i think that's the most important thing um don't sort of tie yourself into doing one specific thing um if you are going to do one specific thing, at least try and like learn to be the best at it, but never feel like you're the best at it. Like I said earlier, always, I think, um, feel like it's not enough. Always feel like um, you can learn more. You can see someone else, what they've done and see what they do and basically just try and imitate them or whatever. You know, I think that's the most important thing. Just never feel like you're done pretty much. Yeah, amazing. Never be done. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming yeah, in. Thanks, thanks so for much, having please. me. Uh, where can people find you online? Um, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. If you search Olio, if you search Insta, uh, if you search Ultralinks, um, you can also find me on YouTube as well. Um, that's where I usually share things. Instagram, YouTube and Instagram, are, well, YouTube, Instagram and Twitter are my main places. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks so Dave. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah.